We'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we open your book of life, I just pray, O oh Lord, that you, you give us a measure of maturity. I pray that you guard my words, that I represent you properly. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit gives all of us a measure of grace here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 16, starting in verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now when they had passed through Amphilippus and Ampollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in and was his custom. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But the, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of the God was proclaimed by the Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command from, for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. You may be seated. After the Christmas break, we are returning to the book of Acts, and so just to recap a little bit, Paul has been going to these, uh, these different areas, Iconium, Lystra, 
And he's finding some believers and he's finding some difficulties in these areas. Some places he's stoned, some he's forced out. And here at Philippi, if you recall, they came in there and were preaching the word and there was a possessed girl who was harassing them as they preached, so they cast the demon out. And the girl's handlers who were making money off of her didn't like that. So they stirred up the crowd, stirred up the city against Paul and Silas. It's what wicked men do. They always want consensus. Then they get some of the ruling authorities, the magistrate. You get a big enough mob, the governing authorities listen, even if it's sinful. And they unjustly beat them with rods and imprison them without a trial. Seems like Paul has a a pattern here, doesn't it? Go and preach the word and get beat up. Some believe, some don't believe. Some who don't believe will do you physical harm. But Paul keeps going on. Paul keeps going on. Now we have to think, you know, is he doing it right? Is Paul doing Christianity right? I mean, listen to his own words, what he says he went through in 2 Corinthians 11.22. He's talking about himself. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am, better, I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments and countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Was Paul doing it right? Yeah, he was. He was. He understood in order to be blessed and to partake in the exaltation of Jesus Christ, we must also be willing to accept his sufferings on us as well. In reality, this is how the church of Jesus Christ is spread. Missionaries go and share the word of God. Some believe. Some won't. And a lot of times, it's many will not. And some of the Non-believers are used by Satan to attempt to silence the missionaries and to intimidate the new believers. They want to intimidate the new believers to give up their faith. You know, throughout history, Christianity is the minority. 
The minority of Christians is the norm. Yes, our foundation for our nation is Christian, a Christian ethic. There were enough Christians that influenced society that even those who were not believers had to act as Christians in order to fit into society. In Geneva, when the time that Calvin was there, it seemed Christianity was prevalent. Again, not all men were Christian, but the Christian ethic prevailed. But for the most part, Christianity is not dominant on the earth. I believe it will be. I believe there's a time coming when his church will be fulfilled and it will be dominant in the earth. I don't believe at all that Satan will have his thousand-year reign, that Jesus Christ will step off his throne and say, here you go, Satan, have the world for a thousand years. He's reigning, he will continue to reign, and his church will grow. However, however, we see in our nation, we are becoming more and more a minority. But that does not negate our duty as Christians to proclaim God's word in season or out of season. And yes, there will be harm that may come to us. But our words, when they are the true words of Christianity, the true teachings, unfiltered, not embellished with a bunch of games or fun, they will have effect. Some men will have their hearts changed with the bold teaching of God's word. And we as believers must accept the consequences that come with Proclaiming God's word. Men will hate you. You speak against homosexuality and many of the other sins of the day. You will be called an evil, bigot, short-minded, narrow-minded, unloving Christian. I'm sure they said many of those things to Paul. Paul and Silas, they were locked up unjustly. And for whatever reason, the magistrates had a change of heart. Perhaps it was because of the earthquake. Or perhaps they just had uh, a little time to sit overnight and think how rash they acted, that they weren't following the Roman laws that are put in place when it comes to the criminal system. We'll start there. But when, the day, the, when, when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And then when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now this is a good lesson for us. Paul understood the rights he had in the country he was at. 
They were treated unjustly. They didn't sheepishly walk away and turn the other cheek. They addressed the wicked men who had treated them so unjust and called them out. He called them out to make it public that they were treated unjustly. And there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this. Paul was starting a church in Philippi. There were saints. They were treated unjustly. Christianity was tainted by the mob. Made to believe that it was this horrible, awful thing. There were new believers there. If Paul would have just walked away without confronting these wicked magistrates, and plus he's addressing the public because these magistrates had to apologize publicly, it would have been open season on the new believers and the Church of Jesus Christ in that area. This way, these people, these magistrates had to apologize to them in public and admit they were wrong. Paul was protecting the church. He was protecting the church from the wicked people in that town. The misinformation campaign came to an end. You could not treat Christians any way you wanted. They would not turn the other cheek. Paul stood there to protect the brethren. Turn the other cheek. I'm getting so sick of hearing that from Christians. The misrepresentation of that is. The other day there was in the paper, a guy said, Rittenhouse should have just turned the other cheek. Well, they were going to kill him. Turn the other cheek means if you are insulted for the sake of Christ. It's a minor insult. It's a slap in the face. It's not a life-threatening situation. We as believers not only have the right to protect ourselves, we have the Christian duty to protect ourselves, our church, and others. Peter Hammond, a missionary from uh, South Africa, he came to the church that I was at previously here. It must be about 30 or 40 years ago since. But there, it was a church under persecution. Muslim terrorists would attack the churches. Every man in the church was to be armed. They had security forces, and they were armed with automatic rifles. There were armed guards outside protecting the perimeter of the church with automatic rifles. You did not enter the church if nobody knew you, unless you were frisked and checked out. And the terrorists, one of their ways to attack the churches was to run up and throw grenades through the windows. If anybody ran up to the church, they, they, they'd not turn the other cheek. They shot him before he had a chance to throw the grenades. We as believers have a right and a duty to protect ourselves, our family, and the church. And again, I'm sick of Christians saying, oh, just turn the other cheek and God will take care of it. Well, God gave us weapons to take care of it ourselves, so use them. You know who loves to turn the other cheek? You know who loves it that Christians believe it? The enemies of the church. We can do whatever we want to these believers, and they'll just roll over. 
Paul did not roll over. He used every right he had to protect God's church, himself, and the people of God, as should we. So after Paul makes this bold statement, I believe the Holy Spirit guides him to move on to different towns. You know, we were told uh, earlier in the book of Acts that many times the Holy Spirit prevented them from going to towns so we can assume the Holy Spirit opened the doors for them to go to towns too. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Ampollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in and was, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Paul has a pattern here. When possible, if there's a synagogue, he goes to the Jews first. And there's a reason for that. If he would go to the Gentiles first, and more of them would become believers, and then he went to the Jews, it'd be another hurdle that the Jews would have to get over because they still had bias against the Gentiles. But this way, when he went to the Jews first and got true Jewish converts to Christianity, they realized that Christ is for all people, and they would accept the Gentiles. That's why even though he is the apostle to the Gentiles, he'd always go to the synagogues first where there was one. But notice, he was always taught teaching about Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the suffering Messiah. Because the Jews had a lot of misinformation about who the Messiah would be. An earthly ruler. Many of the teachings that could this Jesus, he couldn't be the Messiah because he got killed. He had to suffer. But Paul uses the truths of scriptures to set them straight for three Sabbaths in a row. He's talking about the prophecies concerning Jesus. The hundreds of prophecies concerning Jesus, which were predicted hundreds and hundreds of years before they occurred. And you know who made these prophecies clear to the apostles? Jesus himself. You know, when you read or listen to some of these prophecies or study some of them, you think, well, you know, that could be talking about David or some other guy or Jesus, and you sit there and you scratch your head. Well, who decided that it's talking about Jesus? Well, Jesus did. Luke 24, 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. We don't have to doubt. Jesus taught these apostles all these prophecies fulfilled. And that's what Paul was doing in the synagogue. Teaching fulfilled prophecy. You know, I have a friend who, who, who used to love to go to these Ducks Unlimited banquets where they give out guns. and He didn't even hunt, but he loved going and he'd buy 
dozens of tickets. It seemed every week or every time they had it, he'd win one or two prizes. You know, and he bought a lot of tickets. It was understandable. But what if he would have won every prize every time he went and every one? People would say that's impossible. It can't happen. You can't have a coincidence like that. It's impossible that these prophecies concerning Jesus can be 100% accurate. And I believe if we as people would explain that to non-believers, how could they refute it? It's something miraculous because it is miraculous. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. He was teaching the Jews the true meaning of the prophecies. And what was the result? And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Short sentence, but there's a lot of truth in this. Some of the Jews were joining them. Some of the Greeks, those were the proselytes, the God-seekers. But what's important, a few of the leading women. A mix of believers, but it was important. Leading women would either be some of the women who may have been in charge or their husbands were in charge, the magistrates, the wives of the magistrates. But do you see how the Holy Spirit is working? You get some of the leading businessmen, the leading politicians in a town becoming believers, they're going to protect Christianity. They're going to push to protect it. The Holy Spirit is using many people in many different categories to advance God's church. Just like it says, many members... But we're not all the same. We all have different callings. But that is the power of the gospel preached without any fluff, without, well, let's trick them and get them in the church and we'll try and get them saved. No, it's the word of God. The word of God does not come back void. And you know what? Whenever you have believers coming to the Lord, you'll have Satan coming in to trying to stop it because he always has his minions in place and some of them are either oppressed or possessed by Satan. Remember what Jesus said of many of these Jews and when he said it, the Jews in that tone, it meant the leading Jews. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and you're doing his will. And that is exactly what he meant. That they were following Satan and they were in so bed, in bed with Satan that they would do evil. Remember, Satan will not give up followers easily. He will not give up ground easily. There will be hurdles. There will be difficulties any time there is growth in the church. And any time you threaten the power struggle that is in place that does not want to be diminished. But the Jews, and that's referring to Jewish leaders, were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to them to bring them out of the crowd. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting. 
Here we go again. Some of them don't believe, and some of these are minions of Satan. What do they do? They go to the rabble. They go to the, to the useful, I won't say it, the useful peons, let's say, or minions, and they rise, get them, who are easily roused. They're ignorant people, followers, follow whatever. So they get a big enough crowd and they pressure the magistrates. They exaggerate the truths, tell lies to get their way, get the magistrate to act. Well, this crowd, we can't go against the crowd. Same thing time and time again. This is what they say. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. They are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus, and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. You know, there's some truth in this statement. Paul and Silas, these missionaries, they were turning the world upside down. They were proclaiming a king, but it wasn't an earthly king, Jesus Christ. And they were attacking the norms of a society, a false God society. But they were not evil men. They were sharing the truth. And these Jews and the rabble-rousers and the officials wanted to call good evil and keep the evil as good that they were living under. Don't disturb the status quo with this Christianity. They wanted their self-rule. And Christianity always threatens self-rule, whether it's in individual lives, community lives, or governing officials. God is the ruler of all. The waters were tainted by the God-haters, So Paul and Silas, you know, they didn't stay there and turn the other cheek. Okay, go ahead, boys, kill us. No, they left. They protected themselves. Many times we see Christians leaving to protect themselves. That's why Christ tells us to be as wise as serpents. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Again, the pattern, the same. Go to the Jews first. Draw out the believers there. Then go to the Gentiles, the proselytes. There would be proselytes at the synagogue. And he expounds again on the Old Testament, I believe, that Jesus is the Messiah, that his suffering and death was necessary. Unfortunately for Paul here, the Holy Spirit had worked in the hearts of these Jews. Now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. They examined the scriptures to see if they were so. 
just like you and I should. All people who believe in God, all people who believe in any religion, it's always a growing process. Christianity is a sanctification. For these Jews, even at Berea, they may have been fed these lies from youth that the Messiah would be an earthly ruler. That he would get the Romans off their backs. But when they heard Paul and Silas preaching, they checked out these scriptures, these prophecies. And they changed. They had to admit, you know, we were wrong in these beliefs. You know, and that's all of us as believers. We don't know what we don't know until we study and learn or someone teaches us. I told this story many times, but it really is something that's important. One of the first religious classes I took as a new believer, the teacher said, you know, that since he was a Christian, he never sinned. And I'm sitting there going, man, I'm not even going to make it home and I'm going to be sinning. You know, I'm not going to make this team. But fortunately, I went to a church and the pastor up there said he knew what a worm he was, that he continually sins and needs God's forgiveness. I thought, okay, I can fit in then. False teachings, even if we believe in them for years and years and years, when someone makes the scriptures clear that we have to say I was wrong on that, Admit it. It's the maturing process. None of us are perfect. But notice again, who believed? It was many of the Jews, because they were more noble. It wasn't just a few. The Greeks. And then Greek women of high standing as well as men. That's talking again about the magistrates. See, Paul was bold. He he knows that Jesus Christ reigns over all. He was not afraid of politicians to say, you are under the authority of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what we must do as well. All men are under the authority of Jesus Christ. God's words was changing hearts. However, the wicked will not rest until they do an evil deed. You know, they're not satisfied just leaving those Christians even a town away. But when the Jews, again, that's the Jewish leaders from Thessalonica, learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul and in, at Berea, they came too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. You know, the same reality, the same pattern. Men are saved. Some don't believe, some are indifferent, some are just plain wicked, used by Satan. And they will try to stop the good work, even if they have to travel to a different town. The Apostle Paul never changed the approach because it is the only approach to spreading Christianity. Bear the truth in season or out. Bear the truth just as Jesus did. In peace or in hostile territory, you proclaim the truth. 
Expect that some men will hate you. Some men will want to do you bodily harm, especially if our nation keeps going further and further away from Christianity. We see it in other parts of the world. Saw on the, Christy saw on the news the other day, a lady, I think it was in England, a nurse, she had a little tiny cross on her neck. And they, Remove it or you're fired. Remove it or you're fired. That must, they probably had coexist stickers on their car too. But anyway, uh, you have to realize, what did they do to us in this country? They shut down the churches. The strip joints were open. The brothels were left open. But they shut down the churches. That's an assault on Christianity. They tell good people they can't work going against God's law. Six days you shall labor. We are being assaulted in this nation, but it hasn't just started with this COVID. When they took prayer out of schools, can't mention God, promoted the many sins we see. We must stand up and bear the truth. And yes, men will hate you. Your own brothers and sisters will call you adjectives you don't like, I know from personal experience. And some will want to do you bodily harm. But it is required of each and every believer to proclaim the truth just as Paul and Silas had done, and we must accept the consequences. What do you think about when I mentioned Thessalonica? That it was the largest city in the region? Or that it was named after Alexander the Great, I think it was his sister or his daughter? No. I believe you think of the books to the Thessalonians. The church that was established there. What do you think of, of Philippi? Probably the book of Philippians. And what does it say in that book? Starting in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. A church is there, elders and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, also in every prayer of mine, for you are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What happened in Philippi? They're beaten, thrown in prison, chased out of the town, told to leave. Yet they had success. The foundation of a church was started, and it thrived. You have elders and deacons, and it's from the first day until now. They were true believers. They stuck to their guns. And I believe part of the success of that church in Philippi was because Paul confronted the wicked magistrates, the wicked people, and said, no, you're not going to beat us up and then tell us to leave quietly. You're going to apologize 
that you have done unjust things to us and have protected the saints there that that church could thrive. Church of Jesus Christ, turmoil is a reality of Christianity. A necessity. It must be embraced and fought and struggled through. And that will result in the spreading of the church. Expect it and confront it. God's word will not come back void. We will probably in our lifetime never be the minority or the majority. But we are the ones that are chose to do the growing pains of Christ's church right now. That his church will be spread upon the earth. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, I just pray that you teach us to rise to the occasion of being men for God. And mostly, Lord, that we seek out the scriptures like the Bereans and see what is true. And when we have falseness that we believed in our heart to be true, let us be men enough to admit that we were wrong and God's word is right and it clarified us. But give us all the courage to mature as believers in Jesus' name. Amen.